Uh, thank you, Hartwright. Uh, we're back in our Second Thessalonians, the book of Second Thessalonians. If you want to turn there, uh, we are continuing our study, and uh, I wanted to get through this passage before we uh, continue to work on things of Christmas. Uh, I realize there's much to talk about when we talk about the birth of Christ and our Savior coming, uh, but I wanted to get through this um, and figured that some of you have overeaten this week and weren't be listening anyways, so I thought I'd do something real simple uh, as the man of lawlessness uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's very difficult. So anyways, uh, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, down through verse 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to Him, we ask, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by the Spirit or a, a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to, effect, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know uh, what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now uh, restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed when the Lord Jesus whom the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they have refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God, we ask your blessing on your word this morning. We ask that you would open our hearts to remove that which is false in us and replace it with the, the pure truth of your word. Uh, God, help us to hear. We thank you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I realize that in a, a week of Thanksgiving, uh, in a week of uh, maybe chaos at your house, we're still uh, you know, feeling the effects of Thanksgiving at our house, the aftermath we still need to deal with. And I realize that sometimes in the midst of day-to-day -day stuff, we think that this is just all there is, that this will just continue to keep going, that next up is Christmas, and then after that, the new year, and then after that, 
uh, whatever those other holidays are. And then we get to Easter, and then we, there's summertime, and then once again there's back to school, and then once again there's Thanksgiving again, and we just continue going on and on. And yet as you look to God's Word, uh, you know this, that it won't keep going. And when you get to passages like this, you realize that God does allow things to go as part of His timetable. And then in a point in time where He decides, things will change. And they will not change a little, but dramatically. And so we look at one of those events uh, this morning. You were here two weeks ago. Um, you, you realized that we had gone through the first part of this section in chapter 2 where it is described that there's something that we can know for certain about the future. The people in uh, Thessalonica, the new believers, that they had come, and, and the, the thing that they were struggling with is maybe the Lord has already come. Maybe it's as good as it's going to get right now. And Paul writes and to encourage them to remember what he had already talked to them about, that it has not come yet, at least in their time. And so... Uh, we look uh, and we remember that there's a confidence in the future, that the day has not come. And he gives us a few things that, that's going to happen in the end. First of all, that Jesus is going to come. And as part of his coming, he's going to gather together those who are believers to him. He's going to gather together. The, this idea of gathering them together to take them home. This is what's going to happen But before that happens, he said this, that there's going to be two things. There, um, well, before before I skip over to that, I, I want to say this, that he encouraged them not to listen to those who would say he's already come, not to be deceived, not to be shaken by a false message. We're going to get back to that this morning, this idea of believing that which is not true. The trials of this life are common, uh, that you're going through trials right now, uh, that there are difficulties in this life, that these difficulties don't represent uh, the end times, but that they will be a greater one. And he uh, gives us two events. First, he calls it the rebellion, the rebellion, the, this idea that, that this special one that sets itself apart, and then the man of lawlessness, an actual man that is to come, we see him in the book of Revelation as well as the one that will come and lead this rebellion, lead a a significant rebellion. This isn't just another bad man, that this is a special bad man. This is a special servant of Satan that is to come, and we'll get into that as well today. And so uh, we found his identity a couple of weeks ago as he's just simply put the, the, um, the opponent of God, and not just the opponent, but he sees himself as God and seeks to take his place, that above all other gods, both false and the real true God, uh, to set himself on the throne. We're going to find out a little bit more about him today uh, as we start in verse 6. I realized that I went over this at the end of my message two weeks ago, but I want to Go over it again to kind of tie us together. Um, Start where we left off two weeks ago. In verse 6, we'll see the present, the present restraint, the present restraint. Now, 
when you see wicked things in this life, I, I know a lot of us, uh, it shocks us. It shocks us, when, especially when we think of little ones and the evils that are done in these days. We think of different um, people who uh, have done just extremely wicked things and get caught doing them. And it, it, it sobers us and we go, oh, the world is just such an awful place. I want to tell you what's described now in the scripture in verse 6 is a restraining, a restraining, uh, not just on lawlessness, but on this man. Uh, I, I said two weeks ago, this man could be alive today. I don't know that he is. I know that uh, some have suggested in different periods and different times, different people, but I want to tell you that uh, we don't know. We don't know. But there will be a time where he will be revealed. At this present time, there's restraint. If you look down at verse 6, it says, And you know what is restraining him now, meaning restraining the man of lawlessness, uh, so that he may be revealed in his time. As you look at uh, this restraining now, um, he is being restrained and and doesn't tell us exactly how, but you can see in the grammar a little bit that this points to the Holy Spirit restraining both the lawlessness to a point and the man of lawlessness is restrained until the time of God. I think that it's so important as we look at these passages, there's a sense where we look at our world just kind of spinning out of control. We say, oh, it's all about politics. It's all about kings and presidents and congressmen and senators and rogue nations. And, and you say, oh, it's, it's just about these pieces. And if these pieces will do what they should do, everything will be fine. But we can't trust in them. And I want to tell you, you can't trust in them. But know this, that there's a timetable. It's not theirs. It's not they don't look at their watch and their agenda and say, this is what I am going to do to change this world, but that it is God's timetable. It is his agenda. And at this point, as we look at uh, the, the restraining that is happening now, it's most likely the Holy Spirit that is restraining both lawlessness to be to the degree it is and the man of lawlessness being revealed uh, according to God's time. It says this, though, uh, in verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's already at work. We went over this uh, a couple weeks ago. But to know this, that in seed form, in similar in kind, that the lawlessness which will be marked by the man of lawlessness is true right now. We see it right now. Pastor Mike has done a, a lot of work in that, and he's sharing that in uh, his Adult Bible Fellowship now. He's written a little book called Larger Than Life. But it's this idea that says this same rebellious heart, this same selfish, proud, uh, really um, delusional thinking of ourselves being God is present in our world today. Uh, we could stand and give testimony of where we have seen it. Uh, both out in the world and even in us as well, in our own homes, as we struggle to distance ourselves from that which is perishing. 
I want to tell you that uh, to know that the enemy's plot and plan is at work right now in our world. It's, it's there. Uh, some of you have tasted it in, in greater degree. Some of you are dabbling in it right now. You have family members that are dabbling in it, thinking that they're going to be all right. But as we look at this passage, I want to encourage you to, as we get to the man of lawlessness, as we get to his destiny, realize that his destiny is the same for all who will follow after. As you look at God's word uh, this morning, you'll see that uh, right now there is restraint Right now, uh, there is restraint. The lawlessness is already at work, but restrained, and not uh, the man has not been revealed. The end of verse 7, it says this, Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Once again, we don't get much details of what he is saying, but he says the one who restrains right now will continue to do so until he is gone or out of the way. Um, it seems logical and it seems most fitting that if the Holy Spirit came to uh, have a special ministry with the church and the establishing of the church and the giving the church all it needs to be the church, that as the church time comes to an end and as the church is removed, so that ministry of the Holy Spirit of taking care of the church in that way will be removed as well. And it seems at the end of that time, the man of lawlessness will be uh, no longer restrained in this way, that he will uh, be allowed and revealed, uh, come to life in a sense where all may see. This is the present restraint, the present restraint. And uh, for us right now to know this, as I talked about two weeks ago, that Things will get worse. There is a restraining going on. And yet, and yet, uh, the Holy Spirit is working in, in our midst right now. There is uh, God's plan continuing to march forward in, in an exciting sort of way that it's coming to this culmination of Him taking His church home. We go from present restraint in verse 6 and 7 to future revealing in verse 8. In verse 8, it says this, and, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Will be revealed. There's a sense of unveiling. It's, it's not that uh, he's not there prior to that. It's a sense of now he uh, steps forward and he is uh, shown uh, to all who will see. The lawless one will be revealed. And, and quickly, Paul goes to this, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. That's good stuff, isn't it? You know, there, there's a sense of, of fear that could come to us as we look at this, this, this man of lawlessness that will come and all these power and signs and wonders that we're going to talk of in a moment. And there might be a sense of fear that, that we, we don't feel comfortable with that and we're scared. And quickly, Paul writes to us uh, under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit prompting, and it says this, The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. I want to tell you, the significance of the man of lawlessness is great, but does not compare to the king of kings. It does not compare 
and just the mere breath of his mouth. And the, the, where this will end up for him, I love this. He goes on to say, the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing, bring to nothing. I want to tell you that uh, sometimes we fear the great here on this earth. And I, I would suggest to you that the man of lawlessness, apart from Jesus, will be the greatest human ever in power. And yet, compared to Jesus, he will be nothing, nothing. And will be brought to nothing because of the appearance of Jesus. As we look at this, as we consider... Uh, that he will be uh, extinguished by the Lord's breath and be brought to nothing. Verse 9, it tells us a little bit more of, of his coming and, and about him. This future revealing, he will be revealed in, in verse 9. It says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. The activity of Satan. Behind this one is Satan. Behind this one, work, Satan desiring to work out his plan is behind this lawless one. And so as this lawless one it takes his place and does his wicked deeds, Satan is behind it. Satan is behind it. He is the front man for Satan. He is the one that shows himself to be the one uh, that will lead doing uh, the desires of Satan. Though it is all, you know, part of God's plan, this is hard for us to get. But know this: that the the Lord Himself um, will continue to bring about His plan. The, verse nine: the the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, and it says this with all power and and false signs and wonders. When the lawless one comes. Uh, this one antichrist, if you will, when he comes, he will be marked and he will draw people to himself uh, through his power and signs and wonders. Uh, I want to tell you that some of you, as you've connected this, you say, well, that seems like the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, that there were signs and wonders. And you would be right. And I want to tell you this, that as the church was drawn to Christ by signs and wonders. In the end, by signs and wonders, false signs and wonders, people will be deceived and drawn away from the true gospel. As we consider this, uh, these signs and wonders, they're counterfeit. Counterfeit. And so for us, um, I want to. I want to be. Ve- I want to warn you. I want to warn you. Some of us like to see life, and we like to say, uh, you know, I'm looking outside, and I, I, I'm confident the Lord wants me to do this because I saw it in a cloud, or I saw it in the stars, or I saw, you know, it in the weather or in circumstances. And I want to say. You're setting yourself up to buy the counterfeit. If we're not grounded and rooted in the Word of God, you're setting yourself up to buy in to, in those last days to the man of lawlessness. I want to tell you that this is the only thing we can trust in. The only thing. 
And so as God is actively at work in our lives, He will direct us confidently through His Word. The activity of Satan will be a counterfeit, and it, it has a purpose to it. As we look at this, we see these, these, this power, these false signs and wonders. We don't get a description of those, okay? You, 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 but, but know this, that it will be a sense where this man will do, and people will go, oh, wow, we've never seen that before. This, this guy's different. He should be followed. The reason he does these, the, the purpose of these power signs and wonders is in verse 10, is the wicked deception. The wicked deception. It's to draw people away. It's to deceive them into following after him, following in his ways. I, I want to tell you that it's important for us to uh, not be deceived, not be deceived, to, to guard ourselves on being deceived. From, it, most of us think ourselves pretty smart. Oh, no one's going to pull one over on me. I want to tell you, uh, apart from the work of God in your life, yes, you will be deceived. Yes. And so we look to God's Word and we see this, and we know that these future signs and wonders will come, and it will all be part of this wicked deception. And it says, for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth, and, be, and so be saved. We'll come back to this, uh, but, but I want to tell you this. How will you know? How will you know the difference? I want to encourage you to think about this and, and, and think about, put, run this through this grid all the time. James chapter 3, it talks about at the end, it talks about the difference between wisdom from above and wisdom from below. Very important that we know the difference. Sometimes we think, well, you know, it just sounded good. You know, it's a saying. It's a quote. Found it on Facebook, right? It must be wisdom. In fact, no, I I could talk a long time about that, but I won't. Um, James chapter 3, at the end of the chapter, there's a section that talks about wisdom from above, wisdom from below. And as you look at that, uh, it talks about selfish ambition and, and what that produces and how this goes about. I want to tell you how you know wisdom is from above and from wisdom from below. How you know the difference is what it produces. What it produces. If someone is sharing with you wisdom and they're filled with pride and selfishness, you can identify that as that's not true wisdom. That's not wisdom from God. That's not wisdom from above. In verses uh, 16 and 17, it really talks about the fruits. James chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Right? The wisdom that's from below, jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, and every vile practice. Okay, if you see that coming out of one's life, if you see that coming out of wisdom, uh, a group that's following this, if you see this, you say, that's not wisdom from God. Verse 17, uh, 16 and 17. So 16 says, you know, wisdom from below what that looks like. Verse 17 says this. 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If God's working in your life and you're basing your life on the wisdom of God, this is what will be produced in your life. If you're filled with selfishness and pride, I want to tell you that's part of the lawlessness that's present now. It'll be part of the the one that is to come, the man of lawlessness. There will be jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder in every vile practice. I want to tell you, I want to just highlight one in the verse 17. It says, open to reason, open to reason. If you think you're always right, if you think you're always right, and you won't listen, I want to tell you, your wisdom is from below. Your wisdom is from below. We should always be willing to talk and to listen, and we should always say, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. Uh, open to reason. I want to highlight this just real quickly before we move on. As you look down at God's word, and you see uh, in verse 10, these ones who are perishing, these ones who are deceived, they're deceived because they, end of verse 10, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They refused to love the truth. And I want to tell you, us loving the truth and Obtaining the salvation that comes from it is the protection for us to not be deceived. It's the way we escape the man of lawlessness and his tricks, his lies and deceptions. We'll come back to this at the end of the message. That was the future revealing, which brings us now to a future delusion, verse 11. And this is more of the same. In verse 11, it says, Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. You get this picture. uh, It's hard for us to even hear those words. Sending a strong delusion. It's it's this idea that he brings them about, brings them to a place where they cannot see where they are wrong. And it's not just that they can't see that they're wrong but they're embracing the wrong answer, confidently proceeding, being deluded. God brings this to them, and He brings this uh, to them so that they would believe what is false in order that all may be condemned. It's not all that may be condemned, it's all that may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Once again, at the end, there will be this uh, strong delusion that is part of God's plan that causes people to embrace the plan of the man of lawlessness, follow in his ways, follow by his agenda, walk in his ways, and so perish as well. As they are perishing, uh, they will continue in their unbelief. They will continue uh, being condemned. Once again, I want to point out to you, the ones who this will happen to uh, are the ones who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness. So 
So this is the picture of the man of lawlessness. As he comes, there will be a, a special rebellion. He will be revealed as a special uh, lawless leader, if you will. And he will have some things about him. Uh, he will be one, a son of destruction. The destruction will come upon him as well. He will be one who uh, is this leader prompted and pushed forward by Satan himself. And yet... Uh, his destruction is uh, clear that by just the breath uh, of our God, the, uh, he will be brought to nothing. Though great, he will be nothing. Um, I want to I want to close our time this morning with reasons one, reasons that ones will follow the lawless one. And I, I realize that as we hear this this morning, that that we struggle with: Is this fair? Is this fair? Shouldn't uh, God just save everyone at these times. Shouldn't he not allow this lawless one to come? I want to point out some things that are clear in this passage that I believe that Paul, once again, are the inspiration of God. He wanted to protect his people from thinking bad of God. If you look at this passage, you realize, first of all, that he's telling us ahead of time, he's telling us ahead of time, this is what the lawless one will look like. Be, be prepared. Uh, be uh, fit in your own heart to be able to identify him and say, I will not follow. But there are reasons why each follower will follow after him. Look at, look at the reasons. As you look at them, there's four of them, and there's some overlap. But the first reason is this. They refused to love the truth. They refused to love the truth. Um. God's word is true. It's really the, the thoughts of God, what we know about him, describe uh, uh, himself in this. John 17 tells us that. But, but I want to tell you this, that it's not just about knowing the truth, the word of God. It's this idea of loving the truth, loving the truth. It's that we would tune our hearts. And I want to tell you, uh, part of what we struggle with in this life is that we love our own brains too much? We love our own thoughts, and you say, "Well, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, you know, uh, my, I'm smart, and I need to think about these things, and I need to compare my brain to the Word of God." I want to say, "Yes, you do." And what you will find if you love the truth is that your brain is wrong, is your, and you will see God's Word to be the thing that you need to cling to. Love. The truth. I want to tell you, if you don't love the truth, if you just think it's an addition to your life, just something, you, one of those books so that you gain wisdom and little uh, picture frames with nice verses on the bottom, if you just think it's a nice thing and you don't love it, guess what? It'll be just one of the things in your life and you will be open. You'll be open to a lawless life. You'll be open to the, the man of lawlessness. Refuse to love the truth. Uh, in that same uh, in that same light, um, verse ten it says, because they refused to love the truth, they also refused to be saved. Refused to be saved. Make no mistake. I, I want to be clear here at Bear Valley Church. We're not here to help you live a better life. We're here that you might be saved. 
from your sins. Saved. That, that you, you don't need just some better attitudes. You do need those. But uh, you, you don't just need those. You need a heart transplant so that you might be saved from your sins. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Jesus Christ went to the cross that you might be saved. But if you refuse this, if you refuse this, once again, you're open to lawless ways. You're open to following the man of lawlessness and be part of his rebellion. That was the second one. Uh, they refused to love the truth. They refused to be saved. They also believed what is false. Believed what is false. If you uh, look at verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 12, who did not believe the truth. Who did not believe the truth. Uh, I'm sorry, just, it was at the verse of, end of verse 11. It said, so that they believed what is false. You, you, you need to get this, and it's so simple, yet we miss it all the time. Uh, how do you get in a place like this? You believe the wrong answer. If you can imagine yourself in a classroom right now, and and you, you take a test, and the test is before you, and you're confident that it's C, because it's always C, right? Uh, you're confident that you have the, the answer C. And it, that's not the right answer. It's B, okay? But you mark C, and you get it marked wrong on your paper, and you say, well, I didn't believe this. And so you go up to the teacher, and you say, uh, I didn't get this wrong. And he said, oh, yes, you did, because it was B. No, but I believed that it was C. And I believed it with all my heart. We understand the foolishness of that, don't we? And I want to tell you, if you choose to believe your own made-up way and, and reject and, and do not believe the truth, I, I want to tell you, once again, you'll be part of the destruction that comes to the man of lawlessness. This is what happens to these. This is what happens to the ones who follow in this way. You may think it's not fair, but I want to tell you this. If Jesus gives you the truth and you choose to believe what is false, whose fault is that? Who should be condemned? You and me. And lastly, it says this. At the end of verse 12, um, they had pleasure, but had pleasure in unrighteousness, who, who love unrighteousness. It's the idea that they, they, they live for unrighteousness. I want to tell you that this is what happens. This is the reasons that they are condemned because they, they found their pleasure, they found their life, they found their living in that which God said is wrong. Is wrong. I want to tell you, uh, there's a reason we feel guilty when we sin. You know why? Because it's wrong. And when it's wrong, God has placed in us, even when we don't know, it's interesting. Uh, have you seen that thing where kids doing something wrong in a room? They're just a toddler, one, two years old. They're standing there. And you come in, and they, they know they're doing something wrong. And you speak their name, or you come into a room, and they startle. They startle. I you know, I loved watching our, our kids when you'd come into the room and they were doing something wrong. I called it the bank robbery, okay? Where they took what they had and they threw it up in the air and they just ran. 
right? Why is that? Because we know when we're doing wrong. And the guilt that comes with that, I want to tell you, is not that we should pleasure in it. We should abandon it. Choose to honor and love the Lord, to listen to Him, to do what is right in His eyes, to seek His righteousness. Come to the end of our message, and it's real simple. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ today, if you have not trusted in Him, uh, this is what's coming. And I want to encourage you today to prepare for it. Repent. Give the mess of your life to the Savior and let Him save you from your sins. You cannot do it on your own. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you look at this and you say, what, what, what should I do with all this? I want to tell you, there should be confident rejoicing. Confident rejoicing. Knowing that the world will look chaotic, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have confidence that even though the man of lawlessness will come, breath of our God, he will come to nothing. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the uh, clear picture in your word. We realize there are more details that we would love to know, and yet you've given us enough as you gave to the church at Thessalonica. God, I pray that you would convict those who need convicting, and you would ride our ship that we would be your people that we would be ones who confidently and longingly uh, long for our Savior, Jesus, and want Him to quickly come. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed.